Mindfulness Mode 208. That kind of hurts for a minute, but at the same time, maybe there's a nugget in there that I can take out and I can apply that to my life. And if so, thanks. <laughs> Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. On Mindfulness Mode, I talk with people from all walks of life to discover the many ways mindfulness has impacted their lives. Hey, Mindful Tribe, it's Easter Sunday, and I'm really excited to share today's interview with you. It is with a man who has been a world traveler. He's immersed himself in the cultures of many peoples in the world, and he has learned from them and shares that immense level of learning with us. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode with Jared Angaza. Okay, Mindful Tribe, I'm excited today. I've got Jared Angaza on the line today. Hey, Jared, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, man. I'm, I'm excited to be on the podcast. Yeah, I'm excited too. And how did I do with your name? You got it. You got it. I, I realize it's not so traditional, so I appreciate you uh, working to get it right. <laughs> it's not really that hard. It's just sometimes I kind of sweat a little bit, you know, yeah. thinking, okay, I got to get this right. I got to get this right. But I, I want to share with Mindful Tribe a little bit about you first. Jared Ngaza is a philanthropist, philosopher, and all-round mindful individual. He has an amazing ability to create brands, to innovate, and to think outside the box as a way to help people and organizations he believes in from the heart. And Jared truly has heart beyond what most of us can even imagine. He loves to discuss consciousness, culture, and science. So I can't wait to discuss those things with you, Jared. So yeah, let's start with mindfulness and discuss that a little bit. What does mindfulness mean to you, Jared? Oh, wow. I I appreciate you asking that because I think it does have a, a different kind of meaning to a lot of different people. I think so too. Yeah. And, and for me, it is, I think it's a combination of awareness and kind of deliberate living uh, because you, you can, for me, it's kind of rooted in awareness. You know, it's where you start and, and becoming aware and slowing down, silencing the mind as much as you can and becoming aware of what's going on around you. Now, obviously that can be just, you know, physical objects in front of you and, and things like that, nature and, and so on, but also just in the, in the day to day with the people around you, especially like myself with a wife and kids, you know, and to be aware of what's going on. But the second part is equally important and it's that deliberate response to what you become aware of. So for me, it's about living a deliberate lifestyle and, being committed to that practice of awareness and then deliberately responding rather than sort of, you know, just reacting emotionally. Uh, and that's, and, and as a parent, by the way, you can obviously get a lot of opportunity to practice that. For sure. Uh, so yeah, it's, for me, mindfulness is very much about being still enough, being patient enough to become aware of what's going on around me, to tune into those things, and then to be very deliberate in my reaction to what I've been become aware of. Well, I know you've done a lot of traveling, and did that help you be more aware of other people and more aware of your surroundings just by going into different cultures? 
I think it presented the opportunity uh, to do so more more than you would have normally. Yes, um, obviously. Again, then it's it's a decision as to whether or not I, I would do that. And I just I, I began traveling like I did. First, I traveled all across the United States. I mean, everywhere for a couple of years, and then traveled uh, obviously in 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 Africa and in uh, various places all over Africa that are very different. And in each place, understanding that they are so different, I didn't want to take anything for granted. I didn't want to just assume, even, <laughs> I think it was good that I started in the U.S. because you go to places, you know, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, and you go to like Utah and, and you're like, oh my God, am I on another planet? Because the, the landscape is like nothing I had ever seen before. Right. So you start to realize that things aren't the same everywhere. So I went in with that knowledge and just kind of an a- acute awareness of, everything. Uh, and, and I wanted to soak it all in, you know, the, the kind of thorough style of sucking the marrow out of life, you know? Right. So yeah, I think it, it provided me because I was around so many other cultures and, and different types of experience and even, you know, natural terrain and so on. It gave me the opportunity to really be aware in times when it would have been easy to be distracted. And, and I, I was tuning in anyway. So it kind of started honing in that, that mindfulness practice. So did you ever find it challenging to connect with various cultures, cultures that were like completely different from what you were used to? From time to time, yes. Uh, however, what I witnessed probably more is other people having a hard time connecting with the cultures. Uh, and, and not to say that as a, you know, egotistical thing, but I... I've always just really cared a lot about other cultures and I maybe not care as much as uh, maybe that's not the best word, but valued it. Like I, I look at the the differences in each of us and, and certainly in a culture, you know, and a culture to me is just a, a group of people with a similar perspective and, sure. and the things that have come from that perspective uh, lifestyle wise. And I, appreciate that to such a degree that I was like, I really want to understand this. And when I, when I moved to Rwanda, it was uh, just the first, uh, first of uh, 2006. And immediately when I got there, you know, I wanted to live in an area where the local folks lived, not where all the expats lived in the nice walled areas. Right, and right. But I wanted to be in the mix. I wanted to, you know, I rode the little moto taxis, little, yeah death on wheels. Uh, <laughs> I rode those around everywhere uh, for five years. I didn't have a refrigerator for five years. I didn't have an oven. I didn't have a, anything. I had a little charcoal cooker in the backyard. Um, so I lived more like a local and, you know, as much as I could, I'm <laughs> still a white American. I, I, re- I realized that, but I, I wanted to tune into that because I thought, here's this beautiful thing, this other thing, this culture that I have the opportunity to, to dive into as much as I can not being from there and to really experience that. And, and why would I not <laughs> go down that beautiful journey and, and experience all the, all the little nuances of that culture. Right, and I've right. done that over and over and over again. Through other and w- what did that open up for you? How, how did that change the way you thought your thought process? Well, it, I don't know. I, I, I witnessed different perspectives yeah you know you, you have this or I, when you're in a spot for a while like if yeah. you grew up in one city and you kind of have an understanding of the perspective of people around you know th- those people think this way those people think this way and that's your mix that's your box of crayons you know that's yes. the colors sure 
but then when you go into another culture situation like i did in rwanda there were parts of it where i was like wait a minute you think this and not that because it's it was the opposite of what i grew up thinking or whatever so i I tuned into that a lot and just realizing that actually it it led me into my vocation now in, in brand development we can get to that later but it started to help me understand you know, as, a, as an activist and human rights worker and, and, and philanthropist and so on, that eventually took a journey moving into also incorporating, not either or, but incorporating brand development and, and all that and more of the business sector. What I found in all of that mix through this cultural experience was the importance of understanding human behavior and why we do the things that we do and that everything is rooted in our perspective. That's where we get our values and then our priorities and that creates social systems and so on. So that knowledge is very appropriate to know um, and strategic for whether or not I'm creating a brand or a campaign for a civil society or whatever it is. Right. Jared, I know that you are totally interested in science and philosophy and so many different areas. Did you go to school in some of these areas? Did you study some of these or did you just study them through life experience? Very much through life experience. Uh, I did not go to university and had a rough time in high school. Uh, Just, you know, I'm left-handed, ADD, dyslexic, the whole deal, and struggled in school. Now, my parents, God bless them, took me out of the public school situation in freshman year and put me in a um, kind of a Montessori scenario, but group classes or whatever. And that was a lifesaver because it was a very creative environment. And uh, yeah, I'm really grateful for that. And those guys that I, guys and girls I went to school with then, I'm 40 years old now and, and they're still close friends of mine. Uh, yeah. We kind of bonded through that. But I did not go then into university because I kind of realized already that the traditional schooling environment was not not my bag. <laughs> so, And what about earlier school, school, like when you were a young kid and going to elementary school? I did that, yes. And I, uh, <laughs> what was that like? That was a bit troublesome. Um, I, I never. I mean, I, I skipped school, and and oh. I, but it wasn't like oh, I'm I'm being defiant. That wasn't me. I was just I was an explorer. Like I wanted to explore, and I'd find some you know room in the school somewhere that went up into the ceiling, and like there was a specific place I remember in elementary school that right. and I'd be crawling around in the ceiling during school you know it's like a class was starting and I'm like off in my own Peter Pan world or whatever yeah. Yeah. and again you know I'm I realize how fortunate I am to have parents that would come and pick me up from school when I got in trouble and say oh we'll take care of this and they'd get in the car and they'd be like so what do you see <laughs> right they were very supportive of my creative nature and yeah they kind of let me grow up a little bit more like Peter Pan. And I think that's, it, it's interesting now seeing, witnessing myself echoing that with my children. And we always kind of keep that environment of creativity and free thinking and so on. And so then after you graduated from, from the, the high school situation, then did you get right out into the world and start uh, like making money or you traveled right away or what did you do first of all? I left home uh, when I was 17. It was just, it was right before my 18th birthday. And I went to uh, Virginia, Harrisburg, Virginia, or Harrisonburg, Virginia, rather, where where, uh, James Madison University is. It's in the Shenandoah Valley. It's beautiful. I had a friend out there that I had been, uh, had 
seen every year at a summer camp that I was a counselor at. He was a counselor at. He was a rock climbing instructor. I wanted to rock climb and I wanted some adventure. I had had some uh, substance abuse issues in uh, in high school and later on. That's part of the mm-hmm. story, I guess. But um, yeah. again, for me, it wasn't a defiance thing. It wasn't an escape reality. It, it was literally like an exploratory thing that kind of got out of hand. Sure. Um, sure. So I needed some sort of adrenaline rush, some adventure that I could tap into that wasn't a substance. So I went out there and, uh, and, and remained clean and, and had a, uh, amazing experience of camping and getting in touch with nature and rock climbing some crazy, crazy rock climb. Mm. <laughs> um, and it was a really beautiful time. And again, I have friends from that time period that I'm still very close to today. And so did you feel that that was a mindful experience, the mountain climbing and the getting into nature and just just allowing your curiosity to just run free? Yes. And it's, I mean, very important for me at that time when I was struggling with some of the substance abuse and uh, I, I needed something that helped me explore, that helped me you know, I was reading at 15 you know, years old or 14, 15 years old. I'm reading, you know, Aldous Huxley, Doors of Perception books and, and, and uh, Brave New World. And, and I kind of, I, had, I was intrigued by Einstein. I was intrigued by science. I was intrigued by physics and all these things that I, I saw these patterns in, in life. And, and it was, I don't know, I saw threads and I thought, wow, this, things aren't random. They're not as random as we think. And no. that was intriguing to me. And I saw so much of that in nature. I felt very much at home in nature. And it was something that I recognized even in doing the summer camp I talked about. My my aunt and uncle owned it uh, for most of my life. So I was always there every summer taking taking that journey for a few months or for a few weeks out of every year. And it was about connecting in nature and, and, and you know, and even experiencing this God force through nature, you know, and I, and I, yeah, it was a beautiful time for me. And that really kind of uh, set some anchors in me for the rest of my life, for sure. Right. And did you journal while you traveled? Was that part of what you did? Very much. Yeah. Which later turned into blogging. I did a lot of blogging uh, all through the last decade. Uh, and that's been a great outlet for me. And it's been certainly even from a marketing standpoint, it's been great to get uh, to, to have that out there as a tool. And then uh, that's recently translated into podcast. <laughs> so, right. uh, and, I, and I appreciate that as well. But both of those in that writing kind of poetically and writing more, a little more ethereal, but basing a lot of things in science and, as well and bringing that into the discussion and politics and everything else. It was great for me. And, and that was kind of the, the research and exploration that I did for the last decade of blogging was kind of my version of going to university because, you know, I do research deeply and, you know, and then that creates a rabbit trail. And then I've read like five books on quantum physics or something like that, you know? So I, I like that. Uh, And I, yeah, it's, it's taken me to a lot of wonderful places, even when it wasn't geographic and it was more in my mind or in a book. And I was just going to ask you about, about fears and that kind of thing. Do you have fears in your life, even after traveling so much and journaling so much? What are some of your fears? <laughs> uh, it's funny that the street kids in Rwanda called me Nhabgoba, which means fearless. <laughs> um, if that was any indicator of <laughs> my lifestyle. But I, 
I'm not fearless. I would not say that, but I, I am, I don't give a whole lot of credence to fear in the same, in the normal way, I guess, quote unquote, normal way. I, or traditional way, maybe. When I feel that fear, that sense of fear about something, and it's more for me, like, you know, giving a speech in public or something like that. Right. Sure. Um, then I, I recognize it as an indicator of a, of something to pay attention to and to toil with rather than something that paralyzes me. Um, so it's, it's a different kind of reaction to a similar feeling that we all have and have just kind of learned to navigate that a bit differently, I guess. I think from talking to so many different people, I have found that people who travel so much and are, are well-read and self-learners like yourself, that they embrace fear differently. And that's what I mean. They embrace it or they just allow yeah. it to be. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, and you could certainly make an argument for the fact that I've kind of gone, you know, if I see something I'm a little bit fearful of, even rock climbing, for instance, I was absolutely terrified of heights as a kid. Where you? I, I don't know where that came from, but for whatever reason, I, I, it, it, a lot of it was just, you know, a, a solid reverence for gravity. Sure. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I don't know. I, I was very fearful of that. And then consequently went, said, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to become a rock climber then. So I, I got to, and I'm not a reckless rock climber, but I could, I, at the time I could hang with some of the top guys because I, I was very dedicated to that craft. Uh, but I, I think that a lot of people's fears, when, especially when it comes to traveling and so on, is more kind of this, uh, it's connected to the idea, like I might die, like I might get yeah. killed, I might be, you know, on this Matatu in Africa, I might run into a wall or, or the, you know, might wreck on a motorcycle. It's always, it's, there's more of a death kind of thing or, or some sort of physical harm. First of all, I've been through plenty of physical pain, I guess, through the years. And I've learned to kind of navigate that, you know, better than before. And it's not as scary to me, consequently. It's like when you, when you realize like as bad as something can get and you've experienced it, it's not as scary anymore. You diffuse some of that fear. That's another conversation. But I, I think that uh, the other thing is just the death side of things. Like I, I've never in my life feared death for whatever reason. And even less maybe now than, than before. Before I didn't think about it much. Now I think about it quite a bit. And it's not a scary thing because I, because of my perspective of what death is and that we don't actually really die. It's just another, another version of what, of what we're experiencing now. And it's one of the, it is this continuation of our existence and in other forms and so on. So we just move on. Yeah. 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 And, and so what about, you know, the part of mindfulness that talks about not judging others? Did you ever struggle with that? You know, we sometimes judge situations, we judge others. And of course, a lot of times we judge ourselves. Did, did you kind of, can you look back and see yourself moving through that and progressing to the point where you really didn't judge very much? Yes. That's a very astute observation. (laughs) Yes. There's a, when I, okay, so I started out with, uh, as an activist with American Indian rights uh, when I was uh, 17. So it was very early on and, it, it, you know, building up from that, you know, even prior to that. But by the time I was 17, I was, I was in it. <laughs> even when I was out in Virginia, I did a lot of uh, American Indian movement work there and have continued to, to this day. So 
I started out there. Then I did, you know, worked in human rights and 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 justice, 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 uh, all, all the way across the board. <laughs> we, right. I, yeah, I go for hours of conversation on that. But suffice it to say, I've always been justice oriented and very non-judgmental of anyone. Like always looking at this situation and saying, okay, I see how you could look at that person or that group of people and think I should feel fear because of this or that. Right. And in myself looking at that same kind of situation, I'm always, I've always been one to look at that and say, but it could be this beautiful thing instead. Like maybe it's masked like this, but it's really something beautiful. So I've always been kind of, you know, glass half full kind of guy anyway. Uh, and, and especially when it comes to humans. Um, however, I've also noticed in my own, you know, efforts to self-actualize that I have judged people unknowingly, you know, in, in more of a nuanced way maybe than, than normal. But uh, I read Blink when I was in Rwanda, Malcolm Gladwell's Blink. And I loved that because he talked about the nuances of bigotry and racism and, and judgment and so on that we do sort of from our programming that we don't, you know, biological program. And we don't really even know that we're doing it. And I, so that kind of peeled back another layer of, of potential judgment towards people. I, I felt like I was non-judgmental before. After I read that book, it was like a couple of other layers of the onion came right, off judgment. Right. And then to answer your other question about myself, that's probably been the biggest area of difficulty in judgment is judging myself. And really the mindfulness and meditation and yoga over the last three or four years has been... Uh, sort of a, a a result of my recognizing how, how much I judged myself. And how do you respond when others judge you? Have you, have you ever had, I'm sure you have situations where others have like been cruel or they've judged you, you know, assuming you're something that you may or may not be. How do you respond to that? I mean, there are obviously different types of judgment coming yes. out from different types of people, but um, from people that I really respect and, and, you know, and I respect a lot of people, but when there's a judgment coming from them in, in the past, there's been times when I've been very hurt and kind of like, oh, kind of this devastating feeling like, oh man, I, I failed, you know, right. which led into further self-judgment and, and so on. Yeah. Um, however, uh, a lot of that has dissipated over the years, again, kind of on this deliberate self-actualization journey of uh, studies of spiritual practices and, and science and biology and so on, even history, and realizing that, uh, I don't know, I guess I just got to a point where the judgment from others, I would listen to it and say, okay, there's a, that's coming from something inside them that may be an observation or it may be attached to one of their fears. It may be attached to something else that they've experienced in their life and they're observing that in me and maybe has nothing really to do with me. And so, so I kind of went down that journey, you know, as you can imagine. And through that, I think I'm much, much more resilient now to any kind of judgment I might feel coming from someone. And if anything, I'm able to kind of look at it and say, all right, that kind of hurts for a minute. But at the same time, maybe there's a nugget in there that I can take out and I can apply that to my life. And if so, thanks. <laughs> yeah. 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 A, a really great way to look at it. Really, in my opinion, very healthy way to look at it. Let's talk about your form of meditation. Has it changed over the years? What's it look like now? <laughs> Dramatically. Yes. 
Um, I think I always had the kind of this idea of meditation when I was younger that like, if you're meditating, like you're just one step away from levitation, <laughs> you know, like I was going to float across the room or something. Yeah. That's not generally the case. <laughs> and, and I think that there was times when I was very frustrated, like I'm not doing it right. Otherwise I would be look, you know, I, I would have this aura of some Buddhist monk or something and I don't, <laughs> you know, um, so I had some frustrations, especially with meditation and, you know, being a creative and again, you know, kind of left-handed dyslexic kind of that all thing. I tend to, uh, I have to put forth pretty good effort to silence the voices in my head and all the, all the thoughts and everything. So the meditation has been a tough one for me, man. And I, I've just over the last year, done more meditation than ever before. And even recently I got this device called Muse. I have that too. Yeah. It's sitting right here in front of me. Um, I'm actually talking with them now about some synergy, but they, uh, they sent me one and I started using it and I was like, Oh my God, it's a whole new world of meditation. And some of the stuff, the cool thing about it too, is that some of the stuff I thought I wasn't quote unquote doing right. Like I wasn't on the right. I've realized now that I actually was calm during those times and I just, it wasn't good enough for me, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's been like a teacher, this little technology device, which is hilarious because I'm not, I'm not super techie. Um, so anyway, I, uh, I have appreciated that little helper, that little guide in my meditation, but one other thing to note there too, just in terms of mindfulness practices and meditation that I do on a regular basis more than just the straightforward sitting down and meditating. I go, I do have a, a, a Lakota Sioux based um, mindfulness practice, gratitude prayer that I do at night. I do a, a gratitude prayer with my daughter every night where we just talk about everything that we're grateful for. And that's it. It's not like a, Hey, I need this <laughs> kind of list, but just kind of like, these are the things we're grateful for to be aware of, of those and mindful. And then I have one that I do at night later on by myself outside and I literally have gone outside and sat either in sub-zero weather or 110 degree weather, depending on where I'm at, or rain, sleet, and snow every single night, probably for, I don't know, the last six years. And I've done that ceremony of gratitude, and which sometimes about once a week I do, I sage and do all the, the whole Lakota ceremony. Um, and it's been, man, I, I can't imagine not doing it at this point in my life. It's so much a part of who I am. Even my kids, they know, oh, daddy's doing prayers right now. So yeah, it's, uh, they call it prayers. It's just easier to say that. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very much who I am these days. Yeah. So have you traveled since you have a family or did you, once you had a family, you settled down and kind of stayed in your own area? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> um, no, we, we had, I have a, my, my son, uh, Francois is 22. And I adopted him in Rwanda before I met my wife. It's okay. a long story. Anyway, uh, so when I met my wife, then she married both of us, basically. Um, she got a kid out of the deal. Um, so I, so that started in Rwanda, not obviously in the States. And then when my wife and I got married, we had a, a, our first daughter, Sersha. Uh, she's almost five now. And we came back to the US to have the baby at my parents' house, actually, to do a home birth with midwife. And then I think it was two months, because you have to wait two months after you have a baby. <laughs> we went back and we went to 
Mombasa. And we moved to Mombasa okay. with about $700 in our pocket. And we didn't know a soul there. And, uh, and I wasn't even, I was consulting, but I didn't have anything going on. <laughs> anyway, it was nuts. But it, just to speak to the level of which we didn't stop traveling, sure. we traveled to places we had never been in, you know, just two hours south of the Somalian border <laughs> and on the coast, you know, Somali pirates, the whole deal with 700 bucks. And we kept doing that. And then my daughter traveled all over East Africa with us for, for years up until two years ago, we went to Costa Rica and lived there and we Airbnb houses <laughs> all up and down the coast mm-hmm. while my wife was about five months, six months pregnant with twins and we're traveling off road in the jungle down the coast in uncharted territory with a big pillow under her belly so that she could take the bumps. <laughs> oh, wow. And then we had the twins in, um, it's a boy and a girl twins. And we had them in Costa Rica. So they're actually Costa Rican slash American, <laughs> they're both dual, dual citizenship. Mm-hmm. So no, we didn't stop traveling. We're now in Nashville visiting for a year with family and, and doing some business stuff to kind of build up some business stuff. But it looks like we'll probably head out again first next year. We're looking at Mexico and Colombia and Belize next. <laughs> oh, are you? And you haven't been to any of those countries? Uh, we've been to Mexico, both of us individually and then together. But uh, we've not been to Colombia. Uh, we're looking at Cartagena. And we have not been to Belize. However, there are two places that I've studied a lot over the years. Even when I was in my, like my teenage years, I was kind of intrigued by those places. And now, you know, it's easier and safer and so on. So and that, all that to say, having kids now, I mean, we'll take, we're taking a year to, to hang out here. But uh, while the, the babies are 19 months old now. But yeah, I give, I give it another six months before we're out. <laughs> and so will you home chi- homeschool? Yeah, actually, we just uh, the we just received my daughter is four, so she's just kind of getting to that age of preschool and so on. Um, my son Francois, we we homeschooled in Rwanda and Kenya, and uh, he's out now. And then we uh, with with Sarah, we're just starting a Montessori homeschool program. So it's based on the Montessori um, curriculum, but you do it at home, and then you can have some group situations and stuff. We're registered. Uh, she's registered at the farm here in Asheville. The, the I see. farm so uh you can you can uh register there and then they allow you to use whatever curriculum you'd like oh i see and and that way i'm sure you can teach and set by example so many different forms of mindfulness with your children as well right mm. i mean that, that the the thing <laughs> i feel like becoming a parent has you, you could make the argument you know you go be a monk and do or whatever it is and and it it's a bit of an easier path to, to kind of a, a level of self-actualizing and, and kind of connecting with your highest self. But I also think that you're missing a little bit of where you could go in, in that having children, which might be the polar opposite of being a monk. <laughs> um, yeah. you, for, for me, you know, I believe in leading by example, it's just in general, but you really got to step up that game when you have kids because you know, I get, I'm a writer and a strategist and a consultant and whatever. I can give my kids lots of nice speeches, but at the end of the day, they're going to pay attention to how daddy navigates life. Oh, you know, yeah. What's dad do when, you know, when you get a flat tire on the vacation, what do you do when you, you know, whatever, some difficult yeah. situation. Yeah. And so it's called me to really be more of the example to exemplify what I want them to emulate you know, it, it, my hopes for them is that 
my, my hopes for that situation is that I can inspire them to be love in everything that they do. That's it. That's the only Angaza family rule here is, and it's not a rule, it's a guideline. We don't have a lot of rules, but my kids are extremely well-behaved, if you will, I guess, um, meaning that they're very respectful, they're very kind, they're very loving, uh, and, and I'm obviously very creative and so on, but we don't put a lot of boundaries on that. I, I look at us as parents, as chief influencers, and, and to be very mindful of that. Right. Angaza, does that have a meaning? I'd like to hear the story behind <laughs> your name, Angaza. Yes. Uh, yeah, my dad and I wrote a book together a couple of years ago while I was in Mombasa, actually. We co-wrote it. And uh, obviously on the cover, we have different names. So <laughs> it's a constant discussion point. Uh, long story short, I'm not one to just follow traditions for the sake of following traditions. Uh, I want to analyze it and see if it makes sense. I'll do it. If it doesn't, why? And I looked into the, the name change thing when you get married. You know, my wife was to take my, my surname, which was Miller, by the way. Not many people know that, no. But uh, I, um, I knew that or I was pretty <laughs> sure that was true. <laughs> uh, so, my, well, if you see the book, I guess that you can make that. <laughs> make that. Uh, but my, my dad's name is Dan Miller. But I, I thought, you know, if we're going to do a name change, if you're going to do a name change, then, you know, why don't I just do it with you in solidarity? Uh, and that's, and if we're going to do that, you know, much like my, my tattoos and my other brand things that I do and everything, everything's got a story behind it. You know, the names of my children, that's their brand, you know, and right. I, I, we've been very deliberate with the naming of our kids because it's something that they're going to have forever and it's something they can live up to. And we wanted to create a legacy with our family that is something that we live up to. It's an aspiration. So with that in mind, a friend, um, I've, very, I've studied the Swahili coast culture for a long time, which obviously has a language attached to it, Swahili, Swahili which is kind of Arabic and English put together and, and Portuguese. And I asked a friend, his mom is a kind of a culturalist there and, and she named us basically. And she interviewed us three times and then came up with a couple of different options. And she said, I think this is the one on Gaza and it means to bring light. Uh, and it means to, you know, to illuminate the darkness and to, to bring light into a situation or to physically bring light. And I thought, what a great thing for us to live up to as a family and for our kids to always have that coming from us of, Hey, remember we're light workers. We're here to spread light. And that's what you do with your philanthropy. I know that you've done a lot of that. Have you always wanted to do that? You've always wanted to help others and then help others through your branding and financially, that kind of thing? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, since day one. I mean, my, my, my parents joke about me coming out of the womb, you know, fighting for the underdog and, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. justice oriented and, you know, enthralled with Martin Luther King. And, and so sure. when I was a little kid and, and some of the American Indian, you know, Russell Means and John Trudell, and I think people like that that I followed back then as a kid, and it's been a, if there's anything I've been, it's consistent. <laughs> right, right. And have you ever been bullied? I know that we talked a lot about how, what a tough time you had in school. Uh, I've worked in this field for a long time and I, and I just think it's an area where if you can really understand and apply some of the mindfulness principles, it can help. But what have you been through, Jared? Yeah, I don't think I was ever directly bullied in the traditional bully sense However, I was ostracized at times because of my creative nature, because of not doing well in school uh, in that traditional environment. And there were times when either I was directly kind of 
deliberately ostracized from a situation or I imposed it upon myself and felt that I was ostracized uh, because of certain things that were going on, certain social dynamics. And I don't, I, and I honestly never paid a whole lot of attention to it. Like it did, it didn't really crush me that much. Mm -hmm. It really forced me or or maybe just spurred me into more awareness and saying, okay, if, if someone's experiencing this of me and they felt the need to, be a jerk about it <laughs> or, or, or to, you know, in whatever way, then perhaps it's an area that I could pay attention to. And if I'm okay with it, I don't care what they think. And if I'm not, then I could change it. And again, you know, thanks for the reminder. Yeah. Uh, so I've always, I've always handled it in a pretty healthy way. Again, I'm generalizing a bit. I, I, I know there were probably some times where I struggled a bit for a minute, but for the most part, I've always handled it pretty well. And again, I think that comes from my parents' influence and they they always encouraged us as kids not to pay much attention to that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wave your freak flag high. And, and do <laughs> Just be who you are. Be yeah. that person. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Jared, my next questions are just some quick answer questions. About 30 second answers would be great. The first one is, who's one person that has influenced your mindfulness in your life? Hmm. Uh, I mean, philosophically, I would say Lao Tzu, uh, the Tao Te Ching, uh, and and that, that's probably had the biggest impact on me. And then more practically to add one in there would be probably my daughter. When she came along that five years ago, that uh, for some reason, it just really, really rocked me probably because I'd already had a child before that. And I went through experiences and I thought, you know, I need to be mindful about every single reaction. And and so Lao Tzu and my daughter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I love listening to Lao Tzu and learning about oh, man. his way of thinking. Wow. It's amazing. Probably the biggest on my life philosophically. Yeah. 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 How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Jared? Mm, I am a passionate dude <laughs> and I have always been that way. And it has... You know, and, and consequently, I've struggled with rage. I've struggled with angst and anger and uh, being justice oriented. Mm-hmm. And being mindful has helped me to step down off that. You know, people like Pema Children have helped me to, uh, yeah. their teachings have helped me not to take the bait and to, uh, to step down from that rage and to not to kill it, not to squelch it, but to right. learn to transmute it into love. Yeah. Yeah. So how about breathing? Has that been a part of your mindfulness? Yes. And even probably most over the last, I don't know, probably the last year, I guess. Uh, and I, I had this kind of chant going on in my head. I don't really know where it came from of find your breath, find your breath. And which was coupled with this other mantra that I deliberately put together of in this stillness, I am. So in the stillness, I am also able to find my breath and to become more still. And so it's been that, uh, it's been, yeah, breath has been a huge one. And right now I'm practicing counting my breaths as I'm meditating, which has helped a lot. Sure. So if you could recommend a book on mindfulness or related to mindfulness, what would that be? Uh, wow. There, I read a, a book, for, again, coming back to understanding that awareness is such a big part of mindfulness for me. Um, I would say the magic of awareness, um, Anam Thubden is his name. And, uh, wow, 
wow, <laughs> that book rocked me. Uh, and I've read a lot of books similar to that, but that one, for whatever reason, just really, really rocked me in terms of being aware and consequently then leading a more deliberate and mindful lifestyle. Right. Well, I'll put that in, in the show notes as well. And, and I know you're, you've written the book with your dad as well. And that must have been a tremendous experience to go through. I know it can be very powerful to just do that writing. And just tell us a little bit about the book and the experience of writing it. Well, the book is called Wisdom Meets Passion. And it was, it's kind of talks a little bit about, you know, this understanding, this generalization that we have about, you know, the, the, the older generation is the wise generation and the younger generation is the passionate generation. And we're there saying not so much, you know, <laughs> we, 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 young guys can be, you know, we have a lot of wisdom and older guys have a lot of passion and, and all across the board. Um, and we talked about some of the generalizations and why those are there, but we also talked about the beauty that can come from the collaboration of these generations and the wisdom and passion that comes out of that. And um, yeah, the experience of writing the book with my father, I mean, he's a New York times bestselling author over and over with other books and, uh, and a life coach. And, you know, I grew up with Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and my, you know, and Tony Robbins in my head constantly through, right. through my father or f- through them directly. My brother yes. is now the host of the Zig Ziglar show, by the way, on the podcast. Oh. Um, so a lot of that going on in the family. Um, yeah, right. So I, I knew that I was working with somebody that was kind of top of their game in that department. So that was a bit intimidating, but also he was just great about it. And it was a great, more than anything else, I value the, the relationship dynamics that came from that experience. It was really beautiful. And it was interesting because I was in Mombasa on the beach and he was in Nashville and we wrote together through Skype. <laughs> That's very cool. That was cool. Yeah. That's very cool. So uh, can you share an app of any kind, whether it's a productivity app or some kind of a mindfulness app, some kind of an app, which helps you to be more mindful? Yeah, I, I I would say it sounds odd, maybe, but um, I'm sitting here with notes in front of me in Evernote, by the way, okay. <laughs> just to keep keep little key things in front of me because sure. it's uh, I don't want to miss something, and it's been a very mindful experience or, or practice for me to write things down as a blogger, as a podcaster. I don't want to miss that nugget that I'm thinking of when I'm driving down the road, so I quickly pick up my phone and record it into Evernote or something. So that's been a big one, and man, I. I, I be remiss if I didn't mention the Muse app again because it's it's really really helped me this this little device with my um, with my meditation I I, I just yeah I, I was skeptical and and now I'm now I'm very happy that I've got it so it's, it's how long like, have you been using it literally just a couple of weeks man right. um, yeah they just contacted me and uh, through a, through another podcast scenario and then we ended up talking and uh, and now I'm using it daily and I love it. I've just, they're going to send one to my father and he's going to promote it. And they're sending one to my brother. He's going to promote it. Right. Uh, but it's just, yeah, it, I, yeah, I can't quite put my finger on how exactly it's, it's made such a difference, but it's like having a guided meditation, like a real one, not just an app one. It seems like someone's there in your head. Well, it's amazing to get that immediate feedback yeah. right away. You yeah. know that your, your mind is relaxing. You're, you're, you're focused in on, on what that meditation is about. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yes, I love it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Grateful. Yeah, well, Jared, it has been awesome talking with you. How can we connect with you? How can Mindful Tribe learn more about what you do? Well, of course, you've got to mention your podcast because you've got an awesome podcast. 
Thank you. Yes. Uh, well, my, my website is jaredongaza.com. I assume you'll put all these spellings in the, in the show notes. So people yes. Uh, and, and I've got everything there, my, my brand development, uh, practice there. And then, uh, some of the conscious philanthropy discussion, uh, which I always, that's my favorite one. <laughs> and then there is, uh, NEP radio. And that is my podcast, INIPI, which is a Lakota term. You can check out the website, find out the details on that. But we talk a lot about philosophy, science, consciousness, politics, culture, blend it all together and work our way towards peace as, as a society. So that's it in EP radio and uh, I'm enjoying it, man. I'm finding my flow state there. I love it so much. I'm sure you can relate. <laughs> yeah, I can relate. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's been great talking with you, Jared. I'm so honored to have this opportunity to have you on the show. So thanks so much and keep up all the, all the great work and what you're doing in the world. Thank you. And thank you for doing what you're doing, man. It's, it's a great podcast. I'm glad it's out there. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.